This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson. If you have found yourself here then and you intended to be at the Wealth and Law Podcast, you're in the right place. And if not, welcome anyways. Uh, it's very nice to be with you again. This is this is going out a little bit later than I was anticipating because an eight-year-old was suffering from being eight years old and also having allergies. It's just sort of tis the season. And uh, if you're a parent yourself, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we got everybody sorted out and uh, off we go, off to all of the normal daily life things. I know sometimes in the spring, it can feel like things drag a bit for all my accounting friends. They are just done with tax season and tax season can be a very grueling process, of course, for the accountants and for their clients too. And I always felt like in school that spring felt long because there were fewer breaks. So I think when you have situations like that, where there are sorry, large, large stretches in life, I should say, um, with not a lot of time to reflect and it, everything seems to be coming at you a thousand miles an hour and it's just relentless. It's helpful to have a list to break things down into smaller bits. So I want to talk with today a little bit about working with international clients. I get asked this because it's a pretty big part of my practice, uh, from time to time from accountants and lawyers and in, Anybody who's curious when I tell them about my work, which is rare, very few people actually care about what I do um, when I tell them what I do for a living. But um, every now and then they'll want to know, like, well, how does that work? You know, people are from different countries and, and you know, how do they work with you? How do they find you? Well, I'm not going to get into every single detail uh, on that. There may, may have to be some future podcast episodes, but I did want to talk about the, at least in my mind, few things that you can do if you're an advisor and you're working with a client or family and there are non-U.S. citizens and non-residents of the U.S. in the family. It could be enough that there just be non-U.S. citizens because having that situation can change the estate tax rules, um, but it's certainly acute when you have non-U.S. citizens, non-residents, uh, and in that case, you have people who have, have no real connection to the U.S., at least from a tax or, or planning perspective, other than potentially family or property that is here or income that's being generated in the United States. And so you got to kind of deal with with all of their things. If you are you know interested in this topic, you want to know more about it, I did a recent episode with Ritu, Ritu Pepoff. Ritu is uh, a lawyer who works at Northern Trust in their Chicago office. She does international work for them. She helps their um, Cayman Island affiliate. So lots and lots of international planning. And she is also a professor at the Northwestern University School of Law, and she, where she teaches international tax. So Ritu is a great resource. And she talks in that episode all about the ins and outs of the, of the rules that back up this international planning. So if you're looking for a place for all those rules, that's the place to go. Just go dig out that episode and Ritu tells us everything that you need to know to get sort of a base level of knowledge to do stuff. But I wanted to focus more on um, 
things that you can do to have on your list that will help you to sort out the issues. Let's say you you now know the basic rules, the basic international tax rules, for example, or the basic trust and estates rules. Now you want to try to help these clients. Well, the first thing you need to do, and the first thing that I always have on my list is to remember that what you're dealing with are human beings. And I know that probably sounds a little bit tongue in cheek, but I really do mean it. I think sometimes we forget that the work that we do actually is for humans. You know, we talk about things like investment returns and investment funds, or we talk about trusts or different types of, of uh, planning and gift planning and tax rules. And all of those things are not humans. Um, but ultimately, the, the person that we're actually dealing with is a human being. And whether they live in the U.S. or not, they're human beings. And importantly, they are subject to all of the frailties of being human, including getting sick and including dying. And so when we're trying to do the planning, or at least when I'm trying to do the planning for these clients, I try to recall this important, seemingly obvious piece of information uh, to make sure that we have covered ourselves in every jurisdiction where possible so that we can control for what happens if somebody becomes ill or somebody dies. And that sometimes means that we have to create structures that exist in multiple locations. So I'll give you an example. I have some clients, they, they live in Mexico City, and they were visiting the U.S. not too long ago. So we got together and we were chatting and I, I was talking to them about uh, health care powers of attorney. And they said, well, in Mexico, you don't need that. The The spouse or the family can just go to the hospital and then they, they can talk to the doctors. There's no, you don't need any sort of special permission. I said, well, in the U.S., that's not really the case. You have to have a health care power of attorney. Uh, you need HIPAA releases, you know, you need documentation really to back up the ability to then show up to the, the hospital and talk to the doctors. And they didn't know that. And it was different from the way it was in Mexico. And had we not talked about it, they would have never thought of it on their own. But if, but now, of course, that we've talked about it, we're going to address that issue. We'll get them uh, appropriate documents. So if they happen to be in the U.S. or their family happens to be in the U.S. because uh, they have kids, then you know, they'll be able, they'll be set up so they'll be able to talk to the doctors should somebody end up in the hospital. Again, remembering that they are humans and normal things happen to normal humans and it doesn't matter how much money they have. So I always try to just keep that in mind and not let the planning get out ahead of the fact that it's a human being and make sure that we're addressing these human being <laughs> issues that we all suffer from within the planning and not getting too lost in the weeds on the things that actually don't have a lot to do with the human condition, like making gifts or doing the tax planning or, you know, what investments they're making. All those things are fun and great, and I don't have a problem with them, uh, but they really don't address the human issues. Okay, so that's the first thing. Remember, you're dealing with a human. The second thing you can do um, that will always make the planning better, in my opinion, is keep in mind that the rules of their home jurisdiction very likely are not the same as the rules in the U.S., I mean, the rules in the U.S. change from state to state. So if you have any sort of familiar familiarity with that, you know that the rules between states or the rules between the federal rules and the state rules can differ, and that's all within one country. So when you add in another country, of course, the rules are very frequently different in that other country, and you cannot presume that you know what those rules are. Um, sometimes when I explain U.S. rules, particularly U.S. tax rules, to my clients, um, they will say something along the lines of, that doesn't make sense. Why is it that way? It doesn't make sense. 
and I will tell them it doesn't have to make sense. It's not a requirement. And it's the same thing in another country. The rules don't have to make sense there. They just are the rules. Somebody made them up and those are the rules and you may not be able to predict what they are. So that means you must force people, clients, to hire competent advisors in the other country who can work with you to advise on the rules of that other country. It's it's uh, basically a non-negotiable because otherwise you cannot really do the work. Okay, so remember, the rules in the other country likely are different from the way that they are in the U.S. and you probably need the help of somebody in that other country and it's almost a non-negotiable. You have to have somebody in the other country telling you what the rules are there uh, because you cannot assume that what you do in the U.S. will be viewed the same way in their home home jurisdiction. Okay. The third thing is, once you've kind of sorted out uh, who you've got in front of you, where they're residents for tax purposes, you have to go and look and see if there is a relevant tax treaty between the United States and their home jurisdiction. And we have income tax treaties, and we also have transfer tax treaties for estate and gift tax, sometimes one, sometimes the other. Um, some countries have both. Some countries have one or the other. And it's it's a hodgepodge, and there's really no great way to predict it. We tend to have transfer tax treaties with Western European or Northern European countries. We tend to not have transfer tax treaties with other countries. Um, but you have to just check. And there may be an income tax treaty that changes the rules. And these, these treaties may actually change the rules. So I'll give you one example, and this is a pretty frequent one, although it doesn't, exact, it doesn't uh, exist in every single treaty. But in the U.S.-Canada treaty, there are rules about interest, interest that's paid from the U.S. to Canada or vice versa. The general rule in the U.S. is that interest that is paid, just ordinary interest that's paid from a U.S. source to a Canadian resident is subject to a 30% withholding tax. So 30% of the amount has to be withheld and paid to the IRS. That's the general rule. And if you didn't check the treaty, you would think that's that's the rule. Well, the treaty changes the rule. The treaty says no, no withholding on interest payments at all. Meaning the interest may be taxed, for example, in Canada to the Canadian recipient, but it's not taxed in the U.S. And that's a pretty big uh, exception where if you didn't know any better, you could have an institution or a payor in the U.S. unnecessarily withholding a large amount of tax, 30% is pretty big tax, I think, and paying that to the IRS. And then the Canadian recipient, if they wanted, would have to ask for a refund to get the money back from the IRS. So you have to check the treaties to see what what rules are we playing with? Because the treaties, again, they can change the rules. And you have to claim the benefits of the treaty. You don't just get them automatically. So it's sort of a two-step process. One, you have to figure out that one exists and it applies. And then number two, you have to figure out, you have to go ask in whatever way is required for those treaty benefits to apply to you. And so you can't just ignore the question of whether there's a treaty. So that's the third thing. Always ask, is there a treaty? Go check. If there is, read it. See what the rules are because it could change the rules like this provision, the U.S.-Canada Treaty. The other thing you have to do with international clients is you have to kind of carefully scrutinize the assets that they own in the U.S. This largely is because of estate tax planning, although it could be it could be income tax planning too. Um, certain assets that are located in the U.S. are subject to estate tax when non-citizen, non-residents die. And the estate tax is the value of the asset that exceeds $60,000, assuming there's no treaty that provides relief. 
like I just mentioned in point number three. So assuming there's no treaty, then it's everything over $60,000 you got to pay estate tax on. Even if there is a treaty, sometimes the, the family is so wealthy that the treaty still doesn't provide total relief from estate tax, just like a very wealthy American may not have total relief from the estate tax. But for the non-citizen, non-resident, the estate tax only applies to certain U.S. located assets. And you really have to scrutinize those assets. So let me give you, and it's not always intuitive, of course, why one is in, one is out. So for example, for an American, the proceeds on life insurance, on their life that they they own or they control, they, re, they retain rights over the policy, uh, so-called incidents of ownership, those proceeds, those life insurance proceeds are subject to estate tax when the American dies. Well, for a non-citizen, non-resident, that rule is the opposite. The proceeds of the life insurance are not includable in the estate of the non-citizen, non-resident, and therefore not subject to estate tax at all. So it's a completely opposite rule. It doesn't really make a lot of sense other than obviously somebody in the life insurance industry did a good job lobbying Congress because they wanted to sell policies to to, uh, non-citizens, but that's the rule. And again, it's completely contrary from the normal U.S. rules. So if you didn't know the rules, you wouldn't know that it existed. But then also, if you didn't scrutinize the assets that the client owned, you wouldn't necessarily pick up on the fact, if they do own life insurance on their life, that they may have an asset already that basically has a state tax protection built into it. Um, Another example is interest-bearing non-business bank accounts, deposit accounts, are not subject to a state tax for non-resident, non-citizens. However, cash accounts inside of brokerage accounts, like typical sweep accounts or sort of uh, cash holding accounts inside of a brokerage account or clearing accounts, they are not treated as bank accounts. Um, and they, the cash in those accounts is subject to a state tax. Whereas if it had just been sitting in a checking account or a savings account, there was a non-business account at a, at a bank, there would be no estate tax. So where just where the cash sits can sort of flip the toggle on whether a state tax applies for the non-citizen, non-resident. And again, the rules are not intuitive, so you have to carefully scrutinize what is it that they own. Just because they own a brokerage account uh, that doesn't end the story, you have to then dig into, all right, what's in this brokerage account? Okay, so that's the that's the fourth thing. So you just got to scrutinize everything that they actually own in the U.S. And, and really look at it and see what is it that, that you're dealing with. And you have to go sort of asset by asset because the rules change one asset to the other sometimes. Finally, um, for international families, you really have to get a good picture of the family tree and a good picture of where everyone is resident and where they have citizenship and where they're going to be resident and have citizenship. Sometimes the planning for um, a non-citizen, non-resident person or or parents is, is done in a certain way, and it's really good for them, great planning for them, perfect for them, in fact. But if one of their kids becomes a U.S. citizen or U.S. resident, the plan that worked great for the parents does not work so good for the kid if the parents pass away and that now U.S. citizen or resident child receives or inherits property from the parents. And so once you, once you suss out the uh, family tree, if you can see in there, there are some, you know, there's some Americans lurking somewhere in there, then you, have, then you know that the, the planning probably needs to take that into account, and you may have to have some different types of structures that will take into account, if you can, build in some different types of structures that will take into account the fact that 
you've got U.S. beneficiaries and the, the pure planning that works great for the non-citizen, non-resident might not work so good for that inheriting child or grandchild or whoever who happens to be a U.S. person. So it's really important. I mean, it's important for for any clients that you're working with, whether you're a lawyer or accountant or a financial advisor, for you to get a picture of the family tree. I do think it's it's hugely helpful, um, but particularly with international families where the rules that apply to a specific individual within the family can change from country to country, it just becomes even more acute. Um, and again, by analogy, if, if you're familiar with dealing with just purely American uh, people, you probably know if you have a child who lives in California or maybe lives in New York or Illinois or one of the more high tax jurisdictions that you might have to do slightly different planning for them than you're going to do for everybody else because the tax rules are different and the tax rules might be more aggressive or the tax rates might be higher. And so you might be thinking about doing slightly different things for those family members in those higher tax jurisdictions. And that's just within the U.S. Again, once you flip into another country with a completely different legal system, it just gets that much more complicated. And it means you have to go through these steps that I enumerated uh, in order to do good planning and to try to suss out as many of the issues as you can. Again, this is not a comprehensive list, but just to sort of recap, remember, just you, you have to always keep in mind that you have a human being in front of you and you have to deal with all the normal human being issues like getting sick and dying. Every every human, no matter how rich and where they live, it's the same issue. You have you cannot forget that. Then you cannot assume that the rules in the U.S. will work in the foreign jurisdiction. So you have to hire or you have to get the client to hire competent people in that foreign jurisdiction who can help you out and advise you on what are the rules in that foreign jurisdiction. Then you have to check to see if we have a tax treaty between the U.S. and that foreign jurisdiction, and then read through the treaty and see, does it rewrite the rules in some way that's beneficial? Hopefully not negative, but you know, if it does rewrite the rules, you, you got to know what those new rules are. Then you have to carefully scrutinize on an asset-by-asset basis and sometimes even digging into the particulars of like a brokerage account, the U.S.-located assets of those, those clients. And then finally, you really have to get a picture of the full family tree and where everybody is located, where they're resident, where they will be resident, what they're hoping to do, where they're trying to move. Uh, because if they are living in different countries, you got to try to take into account the rules of all those different countries, which can just make things very, very, very complicated. Frequently, I will tell my clients when they're obviously being getting a little bit uh, frustrated with the complexity of things, I'll say, look, Best case scenario is everybody's in one country. It, well, everybody and all the property is in one country. That's almost always best case scenario. It's it's the simplest of the options. And you probably get the best outcome with the planning. So, But that's not you. You have people or property in different countries. So the only thing that we're going to be able to achieve is the next best thing. And so let's just work through what is the next best thing. You don't have the ideal, ideal situation, but there are other overriding factors that make it so that they want to live in multiple countries and they want to have their foot in different in multiple countries. And they're all very relevant and they're all extremely good reasons to have that lifestyle and to do what they're doing. It just means things are going to be more complicated and the tax results may not be perfect, but that's what you're dealing with. And so I just try to frame the issue for the client so they understand, okay, that's what we're doing. And we're just going to try to find what is the next best scenario from a perfect situation because they don't have it because they're trading on the value of of having this international lifestyle and having their 
their footprint in multiple countries, which they like for a, a slightly less than than optimal tax situation. So you can, you there's a little bit of a toll charge and you pay for it, but there's more value for them in many cases to have their foot in multiple countries. And it's that's totally logical. Of course, there's many wonderful, great places in the world. And, and I, I totally get it. I totally understand why uh, my international clients want to have some diversity in their lives and in their investments as between countries. So it's completely normal, totally normal motivations. It makes a lot of sense. And you just have to sometimes pay a little bit of a toll charge for it. So I just try to explain that to clients so they so they get it. All right. So there you go. Hopefully that list is helpful when you're ever uh, confronted with somebody from a different country, whether you want to help them out or not. If you, I think if you have this list in mind, you can do some good due diligence. And again, whether you continue to help that client going forward or you're just sort of passing them on to somebody else, if you've run through this due diligence, you're going to get things far down the road for them, or at least framed up in a way that they're going to get the best possible service. So thank you again for uh, joining me on the podcast. It is a honor and I'm humbled that anybody listens to the podcast at all. So I can't thank you enough for uh, spending your, your precious and limited time with me. See you next time. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.